So if folks have a Bible, it, what would be good for us, if you can do this, would be to read along because there's so much that we can get even as we read along together. But I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible. And the Amplified Bible in Matthew 13. And the reason I'm going to read from that is that it, it, it gives us a, a much clearer and better picture than a lot of the translations do. And this is a translation. It's not perfect, but it is, it is fairly accurate and very descriptive. So in Matthew 13 and 13 verse 1, it says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting beside the sea. But such great crowds gathered about him that he got into a boat and remained sitting there while all the throng stood on the shore. And he told them many things in parables, stories by way of illustration and comparison, saying a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell by the roadside, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they had not much soil. And at once they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they dried up and withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and yielded grain, some a hundred times as much as was sown, some sixty times as much, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, ears to hear and to receive, let him be listening and let him consider and perceive and comprehend by hearing. And this word always means, this word hearing means always to submit yourself under to receive. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he replied to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets and mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has spiritual knowledge to him will be giving, given more, and he will be furnished richly so that he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is the reason that I speak to them in parables, because having the power of seeing, they do not see. Here he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Because having the power of seeing, they do not see. And having the power of hearing, boy, oh boy. Having the power of hearing, and how important that is, they do not hear. Nor do they grasp and understand. In them indeed is the process of fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, again he's quoting Isaiah 6, 9 and 10, you will indeed hear and hear, but never grasp and understand. And you will indeed look and look, but never see and perceive. For this nation's heart has grown gross, fat and dull, and their ears heavy and difficult of hearing in their eyes. They have tightly closed, lest they should see and perceive with their eyes and hear and comprehend the scene and boy, if there's ever a scene that God wants us as the church to comprehend, boy, is it now. To understand and look at that scene, the scene, with their ears and grasp and understand with their heart and turn, there has to be a turning. It's so necessary. It's to turn from anything that would distract us from considering this, understanding it, 
hearing under and receiving it because of oh how important it is that they should turn and I should heal them but blessed happy, for, happy fortunate and to be envied are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear truly I tell you many prophets and righteous men who are upright and in right standing with God yearn to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. How much more we have in this dispensation of grace, this church age, than any prophet or any Old Testament person ever had. Well, listen then. Look what it says in verse 18. Listen then to the meaning of the parable of the sower. Now he's going to explain it. While anyone is hearing the word of the kingdom and does not grasp and comprehend it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is why I say it is imperative to hear when we have the word of God, to come and actually hear it and not be distracted by a thing, a person, by anything, because it's so vital what he has for us. Because if not, the enemy will come and snatch away what, that, what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the roadside. As for what was sown on thin rocky soil, this is he who hears the word of, of God, to hear the word. And at once welcomes and accepts it with joy, yet it has no real root in him, but is temporary, inconstant, lasts but a little while. And when affliction or trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, at once he is caused to stumble. He is repelled and begins to distrust and discern and desert him whom he ought to trust and obey, and as a result, he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is he who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the pleasure and delight and glamour and deceitfulness of riches choke and suffocate the word and it yields no fruit. As for what was sown on good soil, this is he who hears the word and grasps and comprehends it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred times as much as was sown. In another, sixty times as much as was sown and in another thirty as much as was sown. That's the end of that parable. There are seven different parables here, and we just want to get into this one. And even tonight, I cannot possibly get into the depth and the riches of what God has revealed here. It will take me tomorrow morning and a few other times just to be able to reveal what God has revealed here. And this is why it's so vital, again, that he has all of our attention because he has things to say to us that are ours. And what he says to us is ours, not only to experience, but that we can see what is going on right now. Jeremiah just told me, Israel has got a, a high priest right now. The first time in, what, 2,000 years they've got a high priest. That's something that's nothing to be taken Lightly, That is indicative, indicative of and a sign of the second advent. Christ coming back to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. What's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? Kingdom of God is where God rules and reigns everywhere throughout all the universe. But the kingdom of heaven is where God through Jesus Christ rules with his government on the earth. That's the difference when you read in your Bible the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven. 
Very vital to be, um, to be able to understand these things, to rightly divide the word of God. A high priest, first time in 2,000 years. Approximately, Jesus Christ has been gone for 2,000 years. Now, in John chapter 1 and verse 10, it says he came into the world. He came right into this world, the world system. As he came to be on the earth, he entered into this world system. And it says, they, all people groups, received him not. They didn't know him as anyone any different. John 1 verse 11 says that he came unto his own, and where it says he came unto his own, he's speaking of the nation of Israel. And when you read in certain translations where it says, and his own received him not, the Greek brings out very clearly, his own rejected him. They said no to him. They rejected him. Just like people today reject his word because what he says and what he communicates is no different than who he is. That's right. There's absolutely no difference. We're so close. But anyways, and this chapter here is loaded with truth. Loaded with truth. And I want to share just some of it tonight. Where it says the same day Jesus went out of the house. This is symbolic of and very clear that he is done with Israel. He went out of the house. No more to reveal himself in the tabernacle. He's done with Israel. They have rejected him. He's done. He's out of the house. He's out of the place where God would reveal his presence. And then it says, and he sat by the sea. And when you study this, Get a concordance and look up the word sea. Look it up. I'll just give you some scriptures on it. He sat by the sea. Jesus Christ came out of organized religion. He came out of that system. He was done with it. And he's just as much done with it today. He is done with it. He came out of it. And he sat by the sea. When we see the word sat and sit, it usually speaks of a place of rest, something that's been finished. He sat by the sea. Beautiful. The sea. When you look at the word sea, you're going to see certain things. For instance, when it talks about the great whore, that system, that is anti-God and anti-Christ and anti-you and I even now. Because remember what John said, the apostle in his first epistle in 2 verse 18. He said, even now there are many antichrists. Many who just are against him. Many that reject him. Even now there are many antichrists. Leading up to the antichrist, which is revealed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, those first seven to eight verses. And that's where he is revealed. By the sea. By the sea. Well, you look at Psalm 107, verse 23. You look at Psalm 114, verse 5, just a couple of Psalms, and see what it says about the sea and what it means. The great horse, she sat upon many waters, the sea. When we see the sea here, it speaks of a multitude of people. The Bible makes it very clear. That's what he's speaking here. He sat down to speak to many, many people, just like he's doing today. From a seated position at the right hand of the Father in Psalm 110, verse 1. Well, look at Revelations 13, verse 1. We'll go over these verses tomorrow because tonight we won't have the time. Look at Revelations 15, verse 2. Look at Revelations 16, verse 3. Revelations 18, 17, 19, and 21. And Revelations 20, 
verses 8 and 13, where it talks about sea. A multitude of people. They're like a sea covering a vast area. And he went out and sat down by the sea. Now, previous to this chapter, if you look with me, in Matthew, the 12th chapter, let's look at verses 46 to 50 and see what is leading up to this. It says here, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren, his brothers, stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They're desiring to speak with you. They want your attention. They, want, they desire your attention. They want to speak to you. They want to communicate with you. And this is what he said. But he answered and said unto them that told him that, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? In other words, who's my family? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever will do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. And he wasn't talking about works here. He's simply talking about him, self, those receiving him who had fulfilled the will of God and was working it out in their lives. And by them receiving it, he was doing the doing in and through them. And they were his family because they had the same nature. Finishing John 1, verse 12, we did 10 and 11, where it says he came unto his own and his own rejected him. He stopped and formed a great parenthesis. He's no longer dealing with the nation of Israel. This is the church age, the dispensation of grace. He says this, but whosoever will receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that would believe on his name. Right here, very clearly put, our Lord disowned all the natural ties which bound him to Israel. <clears throat> That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, we know no man after the flesh. And what he was saying, he says, no, we don't even know Christ after the flesh. There's nothing natural about Christ. There's nothing natural about Christianity. There's nothing natural about your life and mine. It is supernatural because it came from heaven in John 3, verse 27. He brought it out here as a matter of teaching. He's teaching right now. I'm going to tell you who is my family. And he's teaching us tonight, really, who our true family is. Now, historically here, the time for really, obviously, and finally, breaking with the nation of Israel and with the natural with him in terms of their relationship with him would be, of course, the cross. But it was already done in his heart. And because the cross, what does the cross do to us with the natural? It separates us and divides us from the natural. And has us experience the supernatural, intimate life that's ours in Christ. So it would be the cross that would bring that in. And in his ministering the truth here, and he's doing it prophetically, the break occurred and was revealed right now. What's God calling us to right now? To break any natural tie. Doesn't mean we don't love people. Doesn't mean we don't love family members. But in terms of being tied to them naturally, he's teaching it right here. Crystal clear, there's to be no ties because they are, I think, one of the biggest 
distractions used by Satan, the enemy, among many other, many other distractions. Well, what did he do here then? He took advantage. That's what he did. He took advantage of an allusion to his mother and his brothers to say who was his real family members. Who's your real family member? Who do we really have fellowship with? Someone that has to have the same life that Christ is. That's what, listen, that's what fellowship is. I'll be very honest with you. It's not a, and I don't think there's anything wrong with these, but it's not a bean supper. No. Much as I like kickball, it's not a kickball gathering. We gather simply because we have the same Nature, we're of the same nature, the same family, and that's why Christ is the head, and we're his body, and we function together. Fellowship, fellowship. And oh, if we understood what that word fellowship means, to have things in common, supernatural things, a supernatural life. And fellowship is the Greek word kinonia, and it literally means the setting aside of private interests and desires. Listen to that. The setting aside of private interests and desires for someone else and for the benefit of the whole. That's fellowship. Nothing else. Fellowship is around Jesus Christ. Fellowship is occupation, a mind given over in worship to Jesus Christ. It is never anything else. That, would, that is that, that should, and hopefully as we grow, will be the thing that leads us into every single thing, every thought, every word, every deed. And this is what he was teaching here. No longer those who were connected with him in the natural family relationship. They were no longer connected to him. Well, Jesus had in John 7, verse 5, do you know? He, his own brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters, by the way, didn't believe him. Multitudes said in Mark 3, 21, he's crazy, he's beside himself. They attributed the works that he did all through the Gospels, you'll see it, Matthew, huh? to the work of Satan himself. No different today. No different today. But much more. Much, much more. Well, the only family then that he could own, the only ones who were his true family, were those who did the will of his father. Now, who's the only one who fulfilled the will of the father? That's Jesus Christ. It was his meat in John 4, verse 34. His meat, his sustenance, was to do the will of the father and to finish the work. And there, too, he and his father, both, were working towards that in John 5, 17. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling potentially the world, the whole mass of humanity, that sea, to himself. And of course, that's what we are. We have things in common. We have the very life, and we're to be, in that sense, his ambassadors. We carry the message in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, and the message is 21. Well... This is what it says. He recognizes nothing but the tie formed by the word of God received into the heart and obeyed by the life it continuously imparts and gives. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. How important is it, is it for us to receive the life of the word in Christ that's ours? Very, very important. No wonder Paul would say in Galatians 4, verse 19, I travailed in birth till Christ be formed in you. That's what he said. And he talked about the form of sound, sensible, right-thinking words that would be formed in them. And that is in 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. And that would be by the word of God that was received. 
So what is the Holy Spirit doing here? And the Holy Spirit recorded this word that Jesus spoke. And this is what the Holy Spirit pursues this vital subject by recording in a connected form a number, a number of parables which were intended to show, this is what he wants to do tonight, the source, the very source, the very character, the very conduct, and the very issues of this new family life. By the way, everything that he's teaching here in parables is something that they never heard before. And by the way, this teaching on these parables could be that we've never heard this taught before. But yet, here it is, right here in the scriptures. That's why it's so vital for a, especially a pastor, a man of God, to study, to show himself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and to enter into skill, that, of course, that comes out of gentleness in 2 Timothy 2, verse 24. Very, very necessary. And that's why he gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists, and right now, especially in this church, age, pastors and teachers in Ephesians 4, verse 11. Well, here it is. He pursues it in a beautiful way here, this new family life. And at least, or at least those who professed to belong to it. And in this process of these seeds, we're going to see, and God wants us to learn what the difference between Christianity and Christendom is. Because both function like they did in the kingdom age. Because remember when Jesus taught, he taught kingdom truth. That's what he taught. That's why it's so different in the synoptics than it is in the, in the epistles of Paul. Very different. Vital to know the difference. And many don't. That's why this confusion that's why there's a lack of growth and a lack of knowledge, a lack of experience and a lack of intimacy because of that. And there is the principle in Hosea 4 verse 6 where the Holy Spirit was speaking to and through the prophet Hosea to the nation of Israel and he said, my people, my people are destroyed through a lack of knowledge. Now when you study that in the Hebrew, what you study is this. Read the rest of the verse. Because they rejected knowledge. It's not that they didn't have it. It's that they rejected it. They rejected God's men all through the Old Testament, the prophets. Then Jesus Christ came himself. They rejected him. And then even in Acts, the seventh chapter, in verse 51, the Holy Spirit comes as a fulfillment of what Jesus Christ was teaching in John 14, verses 16 and 17, they reject the Holy Spirit. From that point on, no teaching towards, no teaching to the Jews. It all was Jew and Gentile, the church. That's what Ephesians 2, verse 14 verse says. For he is our peace, who's made both one and broken down that middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, two, one new man. This is the new family. This is the church age. This is the dispensation of grace. Probably hearing a lot of things you've never heard before, and yet they're ours, and they're already in this Bible. And it's so vital for us to be able to have clear, precise understanding as we are passing through this passing scene called the wilderness, the world system. Well, here it is. And basically what I'll do tonight is just really to lay the little foundation. And then over the next few days, we want to get into the precise teaching of it because time would escape what, what the, everything of what this is saying, even in the first parable. Just to digress for a while, when you see this in Matthew, the 13th chapter, there are seven different parables. 
Numbers are extremely important in the scripture and very symbolic and indicative of all kinds of truth. All kinds. Seven is always the number, speaks of always the number of completion. Whether good or evil, good spirits or evil spirits, it always speaks of completion. Seven. And there's a reason that there's seven parables here. Just like 12. 12 speaks of a completeness. Not a spiritual type of teaching, but where did the family of Israel come from? The 12 tribes that came out of Jacob. Why were there 12? To complete Israel, a, a earthly people for himself. That's why. 12. Why were there 12 apostles? Because there were 12 apostles that received the teaching of the kingdom, which was towards the Jews and the Jews only. And you read Matthew 15, verse 24, where it says that Jesus says, I was not sent to any but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They were to teach what they received as truth to the Jews. 12. Completion. In that sense, not spiritual, not so much grace and truth that we have. Because he's going to show the difference. And those seven parables, now that he is done with Israel, are teaching seven. So when you see seven, you know that that speaks of the complete finished work of Jesus Christ. Why then in Revelations, oh boy, look at this for us. Let me read this to you. Because, you know, God wants to give us very precise understanding. And it isn't hard to receive as long as he has our attention. And if he has our attention, we can receive it. Because he will give grace to those that have given them their attention. There's no question about it. I know, because he's been doing it to me for 40 years. 41 going on. The book of Revelations, right? Pretty interesting, isn't it? To a lot, it's like a mystery book, isn't it? It's beautiful, clear, concise, and once you have understanding, very easy to read and to divide. Just want to make this very clear. Chapters 16, 6 through 18 have nothing to do with us, the church. Just want to just get that. God wants that in our minds right away. It has nothing to do with us. Not, not a thing. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 have plenty to do with us, leading up even up to 4 and 5, where they go from earth, what's going on in the earth, back and what's going on into heaven, even to deal with the church. But in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, how many churches are there? Seven. Because Jesus Christ completed the work and finished it to bring himself out, a church, out. That's why we are, and that's why I teach the, what the Bible teaches. You do not go to church. You are of the church. Terms that are synonymous with body and with bride. Church. You don't go to church. You are the church. The word in the Greek is ek. K-L-E-S-I-A, Ecclesia, called out, Ek is out, Ecclesia, those that are assembled, to gather and in time be taken off the earth to enter into our position in heaven. Bible clearly teaches these things, yet how many even have heard these things, and yet they're ours. Well, interesting says a lot, but look at Revelations chapter 1, verse 4. John, John, I have something to say to you. To the seven churches which are in Asia, to the seven churches, is it legalism? Is it law? Look what it says. Grace. Grace, this is totally new. It's not law. Grace. Unto you. Unto who? Who's you? The seven churches. You think he had us in mind when this was written? Are we the church? Grace. 
to you. And as a result of that, grace with all the truth that's involved in it. And peace from him who is grace and who is our peace. Amen. Which is. Which is. Which is. He's always been. And which was. It became. Deity, the Son of God, entering and tabernacling in human flesh, which was, and which is to come. And this teaches when God, through Christ, became a man, he became a man forever. Oh, God. Forever. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Well, seven, no, that's complete truth about who we are in Christ, what he's accomplished in his person and in his work to his Father, for us, the church, and only the Spirit, Holy Spirit, can take the things of Christ through a vessel, through the Word and through a vessel, and teach them unto us. And then you can see in Revelations 2 and 3, the church. The church. Well, that's why there's seven parables here. Because he's progressively teaching something brand new and never heard of before. Do you ever stop and wonder what Peter meant by this? Well, let me tell you what Peter said. Because this whole time, and let me tell you the difference between the 11 and the one that replaced Judas in Acts, the first chapter in the 20th verse, the one that replaced them. What was the difference between the 12 while they were on earth and the Apostle Paul? What was the difference? Those 12 were commissioned by the earthly Christ as he walked the earth in his glory. The Apostle Paul was commissioned by the risen Christ. Risen where he would give him, give to him and to us all of that church truth, body truth. Bride truth, identification truths, positional truths, growth truths, where he would give it to him. And you know that happened in Acts the ninth chapter, one verses one through six. But look at what it says. Look at what Peter says. Because he was given kingdom truth. And he was teaching and preaching kingdom truth. Messiah coming to establish his place on earth to rule and reign over Israel and all the nations would come to him. But what he was teaching has not been fulfilled. It will be second advent will be called millennial reign. The millennial reign, the second advent. And we are extremely close to the second advent. So close. But only the rapture must occur before the second advent. So if we're that close to the second advent, how close are we then to the rapture? To when the father says, okay, son, go call your bride. The remainder. Go call him. Go call him. <laughs> that close. I know so many that he's already called to heaven. I don't, we, we, none of us know our days here. We don't know the number of them. In Psalm 90 verse 12, we don't know them in Psalm 39, verse 4. We don't know how many years we have. The average lifespan is Psalm 90, verse 10, three score and 10, 70 years, if by reason 80. But then we're soon cut off and we fly away. We return to him. The spirit in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 6 and 7, 7, it returns unto God who gave it. Isn't that interesting? Very soon for us. Very soon. But Peter all the time was, was taught by Jesus Christ, the kingdom gospel, millennial reign to the Jews, because that's who it's, it's for. It's for the Jews. Yes, we'll rule and reign with him, but as his bride over the nation of Israel and all the other nations, as well as angels, by the way. Did you know that we're going to rule and reign over angels? Well, where is that? That's at 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3. We're going to rule and reign over angels because of Hebrews 2, 9 to 18. He changed the whole creative order. 
Christ did by putting on humanity. That's right. He reversed the whole order. That's why in 1 Peter 1.12, the angels bend low and look into the church to learn things about God that in their unfallen state, and even those that have fallen, learn what they could never else learn anywhere else. Did you know that? Do you think the angels are looking in right now? Well, where two or more are gathered together in my name, my nature is the full occupation, there I am in the midst in Matthew 18, 20. And do you think the angels are bending low, looking into the church to see what their creator has created, the height of his creation, us in Ephesians 2, 10. We are his creation. We're his workmanship. We are his trophies of grace. This is what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, Verse 14, it says, Wherefore, beloved, who's he speaking to? Who's his beloved? We're accepted. Where in Ephesians 1, 6? In the beloved. So he's speaking to us tonight. That's who he's speaking to. Wherefore, beloved, seeing. Oh, boy. You think it's important to see, to understand, to perceive, to grasp, to comprehend the truths that are in the Scripture? Seeing that you look for such things. Oh, boy. You better read all those verses before that. For those things. Be diligent. Don't waste time. Make haste. Be diligent with all your heart. That's what that word diligent means. That you may be found of him in peace. Without spot and blameless. Mm -hmm. Now, we are in opposition in Christ. That's what our, he wants our experience to be. And how many live without peace and, and live seeing, of, seeing themselves and others with spots and not and entering into the blame game? An account that the long-suffering of our Lord, the patience that he has while he gathers his church and while he does so much in us to prepare to meet him face to face, Individual, Did you know that every single one of us will see him, meet him, face to face? Whew, wow. That's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. But in the meantime, in preparing us to meet him face to face, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, for now we, and, and uh, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I, very personal, put away childish things, I, I put them away when I became a man, when I saw who I really was and all my maturity in Christ. For now, it says, we see through a glass darkly, glass darkly there in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, speaks, darkly speaks of faith, the glass, the reflection of who we are is the word of God, and you can find that in James 1, 21 to 25. Everything about our life is absolute dependence upon Christ, who he is and what he's accomplished to God on our behalf. But then, for now we know in part. Oh, I want to get as many parts. I know one thing. I want to get as many parts as I can. I mean it. If I never spoke a word, honest to God, if I never preached, I would get every part that I could. And I don't even study to preach. I study out of absolute starvation and necessity and hunger and desire for intimacy. I, honest to God, I could, I could, wouldn't even bother me, wouldn't face me a bit. We see in part and we know in part. But when that which is the fullness of it is come, then that which is in part will be, be gone away and then we'll see him face to face. Oh God an eternal exchange of intimacy that nothing can ever interfere with or interrupt ever again. You think that might be his desire now in preparation for us to see face to face. You look at how many times in Revelations 2 and 3 when he spoke to the church, you look how many times he said, hear what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. He's saying to us, Individually, 
and collectively as a local assembly. That's why I teach we may study the Bible, but every time we get together, we are the church assembling around him. We're not going to church. We are assembling around Christ as his body, the bride, the church, to receive life from our head. Because what good is the body? If the body operates and is experientially sever severed and separated from the head, the flow of life doesn't enter into the members. And the enemy will do everything he can to cut off and separate certain members so that they can't receive well, this is what he said. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. It's deliverance. He's constantly in the business of delivering us. And that's how he heals us, by the way. It's through being delivered from something in our experience that he has dealt with already in our position on Calvary. And when he rose, we rose with him. And when he sat down and finished it, he sat down with us in him and he finished every single thing about us. Even, look at what he says in 2 Peter 3.15, even as our beloved brother Paul also, also, besides this, this is what it's saying, besides that, according to the wisdom given unto him, no other apostle, was this truth given to but him. And God, the Holy Spirit, giving it to this Apostle Paul, who was the apostle to the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, the church, us. That's what he was given. He was given this church truth. And in giving it to Paul, it was just as much ours as it is his and his as it is ours. Given the, the wisdom given unto him, has he written unto who? What does it say there? You. It's written unto you and I. And how serious is this? How serious are these things? Every time we get together to hear and receive the word, listen to him. How serious is it? As in all his epistles in the 16th verse, speaking in them of these things which they that are unlearned, they're ignorant, they've never been taught. They've been taught bad, they haven't been taught at all. There's bad teaching that's come into their thinking, and there's a lack of right teaching that has not entered into their thinking, and they, have, they, they are unlearned and unstable. Rest, tear out of context, take out randomly, as they do all the other scriptures, not understanding them, unto their own destruction. Mm -hmm. And who has come to, who's the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy? In John 10, 10, but Christ said, I have come that they might have life. What kind of life? More. It says, it says even more abundantly. It's really, it's like, to have a peace that passes understanding in Philippians 4, 7. It's a love that passes knowledge in Ephesians 3, 19, that we might be filled, that he might fill us up with himself. Well, there's so much more here, and time is flying by, and we haven't even touched this yet. This has not even been touched, barely, seriously. And I say that, and all humility before God as I wait on him like you for the Holy Spirit to take these things and show them unto me and show them unto us together. You know, we can have equal understanding. It's just he has a way of doing it. Some don't like the way and miss out. They do. They miss out. But just in this alone, and we're going to stop because we have to stop here. It's a work night. And tomorrow's a work day, and we have to stop. But tomorrow morning, boy, and this, the next, and then Sunday, oh boy, I, I want to bring this out because I know that God wants that for us in such a huge way. But just even these, just even this little bit in my new 
and I'm not that I want to make an issue out of me, my new Cardinal Bible. Just the things, just the things that he gave me, honest to God. And, and when I say he gave me, he taught me, and they're all ours. They're not mine special. I don't have any more special understanding than you do. You know, because we all have the same life. We have the same capacity. We don't all have the same understanding for various different reasons. For what he has for us, it's so incredible. It's so incredible what he has for us. Even here in the parables. And why are they parables? And why did he teach? And what was he teaching? And is it just a mystery? It will be. And if we don't have right teaching from right teachers that are connected to the head with the life flowing through them, then we will privately interpret the scriptures to our own destruction. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21, to our own destruction. Privately interpret them. Certainly doesn't have that for us. But we certainly have a lot here that he wants to give us. And that's a huge reason why, and I don't say it to accuse or condemn, because I can't say these things and be connected to the head who would never accuse or condemn those that are his. But that's the reason why so many are not here tonight. Because you know what? I didn't call him here. He did. Not me. He did. Not me. I could never do that. Are <laughs> you serious? With my right natural mind, we're talking with Mike today, and never even be here. Thank God for what he's given us. And he has so much more to give us. So, Father, we thank you for the truth tonight. And I look so forward by your unbelievable grace, Father, to be able to share these things. And I just am so excited to share them as you rehearse them to me. And I can't hear them enough. To give to those that are yours exactly what is theirs, Father, so that we can function experientially in what the truth is about who we are in our position in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.